This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha and this is our episode on dysfunction mapping and helping your agile teams to thrive. I have got a special guest on that I've been trying to get on this podcast for God knows how long. Welcome, Michael Lloyd. How are you? Yeah, thanks, Nisha. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm really excited to be talking to you again today and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I always enjoy our chats, Mike, and I've loved the work that you're doing um, on dysfunction mapping. I've signed up to come to your workshop. I want to tell people about it because I believe in it. Um, Will you please share uh, a little bit about yourself so our listeners can get to know you? Yeah, sure. So, so uh, yeah, I'm Mike. I currently am a delivery consultant, but I've spent most of my time uh, over the last kind of eight years as an agile coach, scrum master, you know, consultant, that kind of thing. Basically, any kind of work that helps teams get better at delivering value. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that looking back, my first few years as a, as a scrum master and as an agile coach were probably not great. I, I, I stumbled a lot. You know, I had to learn a lot, learn the hard way. Um, and so a lot of what I do now is I spend time on LinkedIn and, and elsewhere, um, just trying to create content and tools and, and stuff to help people actually go through that journey, maybe a bit more gracefully than I did. Thank you. And I love I love the content that you release. You release it with such drive, such regularity, such consistency. I think you've got enough drive for your own Fast and Furious movie, to be honest, Mike. I think it's just that I don't know how to stop. It's it's one of those things. It's not not like a deliberate attempt to be really driven. I just don't know how to take a break, I think. <laughs> well, look, I think it's good that you keep that pipeline of content coming because it helps us think about things and it helps us improve our practice and reflect. So it's great for the community to put the right thinking in and to hone themselves, uh, hone their craft. That's what's important. Um. Let's talk a bit about this dysfunction mapping. Mike, what what was your inspiration behind creating it? So it was not so much an inspiration as it was a bit yeah. of a slow, steady, uh, you know, a journey. Like I said, when I, when I started uh, as a Scrum Master in particular, I, I think I fell into the same trap that a lot of people do, which I thought my job was to, you know, enforce the rules of Scrum and make sure that, you know, time boxes are kept to, to whatever the Scrum Guide says and make sure that people say the right things and don't sit down during the daily scrum and all that kind of nonsense. Mm. Um, obviously, a lot of us learn quite quickly that the role is is much uh, more important and thankfully more interesting than that. Um, and it's about solving real problems, right? It's about helping teams to get better. Uh, but what I found was that there was no real guidance, not a lot of real guidance out there beyond learning about frameworks and learning about how these sort of processes and things work. There's not a lot about, well, how do you actually help teams to get better? What do you do to solve problems and to, and to remove impediments? Um, and after a couple of years, what I found was that what I was doing when I first would join a team was getting to be quite similar, quite repeatable. I'd, I'd you know, go through the same basic steps. Mm. Um, and after a while of, of kind of thinking about this problem of, of you know, what does good guidance for people look like, I realized, well, I could just kind of put some structure around this and maybe share it with other people and see if it's useful to them. And that's what I've been working on. And I, I think it's it's been good. A lot of people that have tried it have, have given me some really positive feedback. And yeah, I'm just hoping that it, it just makes it a bit easier for people who, who need to take that extra jump beyond you know, the basics of Scrum and into how do I solve real problems. 
That's really interesting. I felt exactly like you. When I first started my practice as a scrum master, I had those moments where you encounter either team dynamics, like you know, uh, either a loss of trust or rebuilding it again, or you know, lack of accountability, the uncomfortable things that you would encounter. It's natural. We're all humans. We're all trying to deliver value and have a repeatable process that we can work towards but something that we can you know, really hone our discipline um, and then evolve from. But having, having a, a community around you of practitioners really helps. So I remember I used the lockdown period, for example, to really reach out to reach out to more practitioners um, and, and, try and, and try and surround myself in a, with a community of good practitioners who I could rely on to say, you know, if you've come across a problem like this, how have you dealt with it? But the mm. fact that you're producing something that can help scrum masters identify some repeatable things and some repeatable good practices that are perhaps not covered as part of the certifications I think that can only help us get better because one thing within the agile community we have to get better doing is developing a consistent voice, right? Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, the, the tool itself is built to be a collaborative tool in particular, right? So yes. like you say, this is not lock yourself away in a room and just come up with a bunch of clever answers. It's a, it's a way of organizing your thoughts and generally would, would lean on, you know, what do other people think? Who, who else can I talk to? What experts can I pull in? Yes. You're going to solve the problem to form the hypothesis. And I think like you mentioned lockdown i think taught a lot of us the the challenge when you don't just have someone sat next to you that you can pull in to, to have a conversation i i used to be terrible for that i was known for constantly hey come here i need i need your thought right i need your input um when you don't have that you need to put a bit of structure around that thinking so that you can pull people in at the right time yeah exactly and you've always got the the agile principles in the back of your mind you're always very very cognizant of the types of behaviors that should be present within those teams and sometimes teams have off days sometimes there are challenges that we face sometimes there is trust that we have to rebuild with stakeholders sometimes there is a a legacy thought pattern of command and control as well you know and it, it needs a bit of a bit of thought these aren't quick fix problems yeah and, and i think the thing that i found from especially going through developing the tool in particular and testing it with other people is yeah. that often the, there are solutions that we want to try and we don't know if they're going to be successful um, and we're afraid because you know we can't get buy-in or we just don't have the authority or the or the credibility to, to kind of take an approach forward and so yeah getting that way of, of what i call you know building a hypothesis based plan it's not about saying i know the answer it's about saying i think if we do this then some stuff will happen then it's a lot easier to kind of get to that stage where you can try something make an incremental change and, and see what happens yeah and it's also open right the moment you build a hypothesis you're actually inviting others within mm. the team to contribute to that hypothesis um how do you feel like what was the feedback that you have from scrum masters to date around um their practice being more effective as a result of the dysfunction mapping yeah, I think that the main thing that I've heard from from the people that have tried it is that it's not necessarily you know drastically changed the uh, the things that they do or the approaches that they take, but it's really helped them to kind of zoom out and, and get that macro level view of of what's going on, mm -hmm. and then focus in on the right and most impactful things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I often, when I talk about it in the workshop and stuff, I talk about uh, the coaching spidey sense. Right, we all. Yeah develop that feeling of mm, this this doesn't feel quite right or this doesn't sound like something that we you know we want to allow to, to keep happening um and, and 
there's usually way more of that stuff than you could possibly solve or like how many of us have turned up day one in a, in a scrum master job and and just seen like a hundred different things that seem like they're on fire like how, how on earth do you figure out where to start um, and yeah i think a lot of people have, have have said that it gives them that ability to you know take the step back observe figure out what a good plan might look like and then have a bit more confidence with the thing that they're going to do because it's, it's empirical right it's based on what you've really observed it's based on on um things that you're expecting will change based on your outcomes so rather than just saying oh hey i'm gonna you know force this rule Im implement this tool um you can actually say right I'm, I'm gonna attempt to solve this particular problem and see this particular outcome which again it's just it's confidence right it's credibility absolutely and it's it's also making your mark as a scrub master in in a way that um is helping the team as directly as you can but you can't do that without zooming out so if you're in the detail and focusing on isolated issues then you'll have some impact but it will be limited and it could be short-lived having that macro level view to say where does the team need support most where is the highest impact area the most rather than what's easy to solve mm. um, i think will help scrum masters definitely to start thinking about that it, it's this is a framework agnostic right that's the, the dysfunction mapping yeah so i mean I, i've usually worked in teams that either are doing scrum or at least think that they're doing scrum and so it was kind of initially built with that lens um but essentially i'm personally framework agnostic so that obviously leaks into anything that i've built i i, I see these all the different tools you should use them when you think they're appropriate and you know bend the rules if if you know what those rules are for um but yeah you can you can apply uh you know different frameworks so you could use safe or you could use scrum as your kind of basis for which which dysfunctions are we looking for as in you know which rules of those frameworks might we be breaking um you could just use like supporting practices so like devops right do we have continuous delivery pipelines or you could use kanban right we said so we say we have a kanban board but there's no whip limits these are the sorts of things right. that you might be on the lookout for um and it's again it's not about a right or wrong answer each you know you could take two different coaches scrum masters Put them in front of the same teams and they could observe all the same problems and they could both come out with completely different lists of dysfunctions or lists of plans for change because it's complex right who knows what the right answer is mm -hmm. but that's the cool thing about working in this way it's adaptive we can try it we can we can make positive changes and who's to say that both of those people wouldn't create very different but still useful plans for change that would support those teams to grow so yeah it's just about you know leveling up that approach and, and, and helping us to, to just put a bit more rigor around i think that the experiments that we naturally want to do that sometimes just feel a little bit chaotic yeah absolutely and here's a pattern that i could have done with some help with in the past i was working with a scrum team right and they wanted to move to kanban because they decided scrum hadn't worked mm. for them and so I was like looking at their and helping them just review their practice of Scrum to start off with. And again, exactly as you said, they had they had no whip limits. They had some unstructured refinements that they were having with their stakeholders. They had kind of an um, an absent product owner. So it felt like the, the developers were trying to guess with the business analyst, the best fit on, you know, on the user stories. Um, and fundamentally, there were some areas that weren't that that they weren't focusing on first, and it's it's funny that um, this one's this scenario has come to mind because I feel like people need well teams need to focus on the the practice the discipline of the practice first. Mm. Um, I feel like we can there's danger, and I, I say it 
in, in a generalist way that there is a danger of letting ourselves off the hook when it comes yeah. to discipline. It ain't sexy. It ain't cool to talk about discipline. But I feel like there, there are a lot of teams that I work with. You kind of want to um, say, hey, guys, are you are you practicing your discipline first correctly in the first place? And there is value in getting that right first and mm. then using that as a springboard to do even better. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, it, I'm really glad you say that, right? Because um, as you'll see, if you, if you attend one of my workshops, when I talk about dysfunction mapping, that one of the things uh, is it's the only time in the session where I say, you just need to trust me on this. I'm not going to try and convince you. I'm just going to tell you something that I think is true. Yeah. And you know everything's based around it. So you know it, it's required if you want to use this tool. And that's that effective coaching comes from helping people to understand purpose. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people do agree with that, but it's it's hard to convince someone if they don't. But uh, and the reason I say that is because you're to your point on discipline. The whole point of this of this process is it's not about saying I know best. It's yeah. about knowing that these other frameworks and tools exist and saying, well, they have a purpose, right? Mm. And so if we're going to deliberately behave in a way that undermines that purpose, we can't be surprised when we see negative outcomes. And so brilliant examples of that that I that I use in the workshops and in some of the other videos is, um, you know the daily scrum overruns the 15 minute time box every day. Now, when I was a new scrum master, I used to see that as, well, my job is to make sure it sticks to the time box, which it, it kind of is, right? If you read the scrum guide, that's that's one of our accountabilities as scrum masters. But having something stay within a time box isn't in itself valuable. It's a, it's a benchmark. It's a thing that tells us whether our practice is good or not. And so mm -hmm. rather than trying to solve the problem by, you know, ringing a bell or, or flashing a light when the, when the time's up, you, you can look at it and say, well, what's the purpose of that rule? It, it's and, and I would say if I was using a dysfunction map, something like, you know, it's so that the team doesn't spend a huge amount of time having deep conversations when everyone's being held hostage to, to a, a, a right. daily update or because they should be collaborating throughout the day. So they shouldn't need that amount of time. Right. Or, or there are any other number of reasons you might come up with. And the point there is, well, understanding that purpose, it allows you to take an action that fosters those behaviors, not just arbitrarily closes a time box. Mm -hmm. How do I increase collaboration through the day? How do I make sure the team is having the right conversations with the right people at the right time? And those are real problems that solved, uh, that when solved will make the team generally better and happier. So it's just about you know, redirecting you towards, you know, what's the purpose of these rules? I'm not here to tell you that you have to follow the scrum guide because it's in the scrum guide, but I am here to help you understand the value of those things. And, and to your point, like if you want to change to Kanban, well, that's cool. But I really want to make sure you've understood the value of the thing that you that you were trying to do first, uh, because if you deliberately break those rules, you're probably going to deliberately break the rules of Kanban too, and you're going to end up in this same situation down the line, right? So, so let's just try and get it right and see what we can what we can learn. Yeah, absolutely. I ran some agile coaching taster sessions recently for one of our clients, and. Um, I, we talked about Scrum, we talked about some fundamental practices. They were using Kanban and once they'd come through that coaching, they actually wanted to go back to Scrum and give it <laughs> a good go. Um, and that that kind of reaction enthuses me because mm. I've been that person, right? Mike, I've been that person where a new Scrum master trying to promote the benefits of working in an agile way, loving the idea of Scrum, quite a little bit green behind the ears around you know like um ex being able to explain each mm. one of the scrum events in my past and it being able to explain them with confidence and uh, we were talking about this yesterday I, you know in in one of the uh, contracts that I was working on I had a manager turn up um on a program 
we, we started with uh, daily stand-ups and the manager would turn up every day and then um, make sure that he was sat down um, with, you know, arms folded saying, right, okay, it's a stand-up, but I'm sitting down for it. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's the wiliness and the astuteness that we need as Scrum Masters to really understand perhaps what's going on behind that, right? That you, you picked up on yesterday when we, were to, when we were talking about this scenario and be able to deal with those behaviours or be able to come to those behaviours from a, from a, a human standpoint. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because the... Um, just thinking back to your question earlier about some of the feedback I've had from other people, right? Yeah. So one of the things that someone who used the tool said to me was that their favorite part was going through that purpose thing of, of okay, there's this rule, I can see we're breaking it. And it was uh, his realization that he, maybe he didn't understand the purpose in the way that he thought he did because it actually was harder to come up with than he thought. And by going through that process and realizing, right, so let's use, let's use stand up, for example, right? Like right. Scrub, Scrub doesn't say anything these days about whether you should stand up or sit down for a meeting, but XP yeah. use stand up meetings. It's like it, it, whether or not it's right or wrong, if the team has decided to have a stand up meeting, then we've decided there's some value in doing it that way. We should be able to articulate the purpose of that value. And if we mm -hmm. can't, then we're probably just following an arbitrary rule, right? So right. spending that time to think about it. And, and in fact, um, one of the harder ones that I'm sure you've experienced as almost all scrum masters will have is um, that expectation, that feeling that the scrum master has to be the one that facilitates all the events. No one else no. is allowed. That's, that's why we hired you, right? You have to do it. And I just had someone um, message me, a, a friend of mine who's a, is a great agile practitioner um, because he'd been listening to some of the stuff we, you know, we've been saying and had started coaching the developers to, to run their own daily scrum. And it was all going really, really well. And, you know, a manager had had essentially pulled him aside or messaged him privately and said, uh, "No, no, you, you can't be doing that. That's, that's your job to to facilitate the daily scrum. Right? That's you're, you're the scrum master." Um, and it, that's the sort of thing that I'm kind of trying to solve with this tool. Right? It's it's about building those like heuristic patterns in people's brains that you can immediately articulate to someone. Well, the re it's not just no or you know I, I'm the scrum master. Trust me. It's I can explain to you why it's better that it's done this way. And it's not based on me saying that it's better. It's based on this thing called Scrum, right? That you would, you agree that is a, is a thing that we're going to use or try to get value from. So don't just take my word for it, right? This, this is where you can look for, for guidance on that. Mm -hmm. So again, it just, I think it gives us all just a little bit more of that confidence to just put, not necessarily push back. I don't think that's necessarily the right word, but um, just to confidently say, yeah, this is why we're doing this stuff. Like watch and, and see how things improve when we do it right. Yeah, you're making me shudder with that example because you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of my project management days when I was like the kingpin, the go-to for every single question, for every single meeting, for um, risks that people would think up, issues that they'd encountered. And you know what? I ended up burning out. Mm. Like it's, it's, a, it's a serious thing. And I think what we as Scrum Masters, we're stronger and our practice is stronger if we've instilled the behaviors where the team needs us in a limited way. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, once we've done that and we can see um, our product teams collaborating every day, getting on calls because we're all hybrid now, getting on calls when we're on, you know, uh, on virtually, 
facilitating themselves and saying what's our plan for today let's helping each other help each other out pair when they need to Mm. having that level of discrimination themselves and not and you know a scrum master should be able to dip in to that level of interaction that's going on speak to anyone in the product team and understand where things are not necessarily have to be around for every single event yeah yes sorry go on i was just going to say how much fun is it for a scrum master to be able to sit back during a retrospective and have a member of the product team take that mm. retro. Yep. Right. It's just so much fun. Like have one of um, Chris Stone's um, templates in front of you and fill your boots, whatever takes your fancy, um, you know, and, and just to have that enthusiasm, mm. have someone else other than the scrum master do it. Yeah, and, and so it's funny you say that because I um I regularly talk about like my favorite moment that I ever had as a as a scrum master or, or yeah. coach was a team that had been struggling for a while with um like delivering work to on, on a sprint review kind of you know what they thought they were calling it a sprint review it was more like a delivery approval kind yeah. of meeting you know what I mean but um, they'd regularly get customers kind of pushing back and saying no that's not what we asked for right and it turned into these arguments about um you, you know you didn't give us the right requirements so again i'm sure there's a bunch of people listening to this that have been in this exact situation mm-hmm. um and i went through the process of of um helping them kind of identify the problem uh coming up with potential solutions i i ran a workshop and taught them user stories and user story mapping is like this approach to get better understanding of, of what the customer needed and, and how to kind of work through the problem um and that's all pretty typical stuff but the bit the, the bit that was my you know just one of my favorite every moments was when we were in a big room planning event um, and the team had been brought this new piece of work that caught them off guard they weren't expecting it and they suddenly had like a couple of hours to figure out well what the hell does this work mean how do we plan it mm-hmm. what are we going to deliver and without a single word from me they all went over into a corner broke out the post-its and started building a user story map yes. and it's just like there's there's just something incredible that feeling right where you're like yeah. wow yeah they've, they're doing it and they don't need my help because they've they've become self-managing to a degree right and that's yeah. that's i think the the best value you can get out of a scrum master, even if it's not, um, you know, doesn't visibly put them in the limelight. That's what you hire people like us to do. So, yeah. And there's not that many roles out there where we're trying to make ourselves redundant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, and interestingly, the, um, the, the scrum master community loves to talk about making themselves redundant, but I've never actually seen it happen, which yeah. is probably just, a, it tells you just how much dysfunction there is out there that still needs to be solved. But I think, it, again, to that point is things like running meetings, that's, anyone can do that. Um, even the harder stuff, like like the you know, working through workshops and, and breaking down work, like you can still teach teams to do that. The idea that you're going to kind of box scrum masters and agile coaches into just doing that stuff when there's all this craziness in most organizations that needs fixing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you, you need to unlock them, right? You need to unleash their superpowers. And um, I say, think back to dysfunction mapping it's a way of just allowing people to make that case of saying look at all this stuff isn't it awful we all can agree on that right let's do this mm. uh, and it, usually that doesn't involve ringing a bell or telling people that the meeting is over or whatever that boring stuff is yeah that's not what life it makes life exciting in working in teams right um so in terms of in terms of the dysfunction mapping itself like what what the what's the feedback that you've got um from teams and how have teams responded to it that you've worked you've worked with mike well so i mean it, the um the tool itself is generally not something that you would go through with the team themselves um, right. so it's more it's more like a tool for coaches stakeholders you might use uh, you pull in other experts or scrum masters 
Um, it's not that you can't use it with um, with teams. It's just not generally how I've used it because I don't think most teams are really that interested in in that part of the thought process. They've got like more important shit to do, really, right? They they yeah. want to be delivering work, building, yeah, and delivering. yeah, but it's but it's the outputs of it that I think are really interesting. So the, the way I tend to use it is I use it to form a coaching backlog, which has like a bunch of you know like a Kanban board with here right. are some coaching activities and here are some teaching activities and some mentoring activities. Um, and each of those will be tied to some observable measures and things that I'm expecting to see change from the dysfunction map. That's the part that I've seen teams respond really, really well to because um, it gives you something to point to. Again, I, I, I'm sure you've had that question of, oh, you're a scrum master. What do you do all day? Right. Like, oh, yeah. They see you at the daily scrum and they see you at the sprint review and then all that time in between. Like, what, what on earth are you doing? And it, it gives you that that chance to if they're interested not that you you know you want to spend all your time trying to tell them how great you are but if they're interested you can say um yeah here are some of the things i'm working on at the moment and here are the problems that you've raised to me that mm. i expect to go away or to be lessened by doing those activities and um if, if nothing else i say well, I, I don't want to sort of toot my own horn too much but i think most of the teams that i've worked with have felt like they were a lot better by the time i stepped away than than when i joined um and while I didn't necessarily have this thing called dysfunction mapping in the exact format that it's in right now, most of that success comes from that process that I've gone through that's, you know, this thing is based on. And like I say, it's just about making sure that we're trying to use some kind of empiricism in our actual coaching, not just in the delivery of the work. So I love the fact that this becomes a tool almost like um almost like a a, a, a learning diary, a change backlog for the team right of mm. where, where where they can actually identify or as a scrum master you've identified areas you can start opening up develop uh, dialogue with the teams on areas where they can improve because normally as a scrum master and i'm this is what i really want to get out of the workshop is how i can start using um the dysfunction mapping tool when i'm scrum mastering when i'm being being an agile coach not just with one team but to provide observations across teams as well mm. um normally it becomes a mental note and it's something that i note down um discuss with the team and understand the priority understand the impact that a change that i've spotted uh, to fix a problem could make and then we talk about it but this is this this sounds like a really good tool that i'd want to use for sure to mm. to be able to note the areas of improvement but then also illustrate measures against those improvements right because that's that's important and then that becomes a really good tool to be able to highlight to stakeholders because stakeholders always want to hear about how teams are improving and what they're doing and that becomes part of a pr message for the team yeah, yeah and it's, it's funny it was, it was not one of my original intentions but it was something i realized after the fact what made this really useful right is yeah justifying your value as a, as a scrum master or as an agile coach can be a really really hard thing to do because we, we don't want to take credit for the improvements of the team and especially if it like uh, to give you an example of one that i've worked through before is a couple of teams working on the same product product um having major like integration issues right the branching strategy just yeah. wasn't working for them every sprint they were losing a day or two trying to fix merge requests um now that problem ultimately was solved by the developers and the teams getting together and talking to each other and i, I don't want to take credit for the amazing effort and work that they did mm. but what i was able to show is that i identified this problem and as a result i organized a workshop and i got them talking and then after that the problem got solved and things improved right. so it's, it's not it's not about taking credit for it but it's it's about being able to just raise a little bit of transparency of mm. what your coaching activity has been aimed at so you're not just trying to say oh look all of this stuff is my doing because it's, no. it's not right 
but it's about being able to say yes i did deliberately do some stuff that led to this so please trust me when i say that i am you know looking at the right things which i think again every scrum master thinks and feels but sometimes is a hard case to make to, to stakeholders so yeah and and in this current climate of layoffs of uh, scrum masters needing to demonstrate the value that they're having to these businesses and articulate it we know that we're going to have value the moment we start working with teams we're confident in our practice we know we're going like, to get in there and understand their problem areas and, and surface them and work with the team to resolve them uh, but this actually helps us articulate it in a really concise and, and neat way for sure Mike, we're coming to the end of our recording. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, what are the takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners and those of our those of our listeners that um, and and watchers of our YouTube channel? Yeah, I guess the the two main points that I would love for every Scrum Master Advocate to think about is. Um, how do you make sure that all of your effort is being directed towards the most important problems? Um, there are way too many fires in an organization for you to solve alone. So yeah, try to put some, some real thought into stepping back and, and looking for those patterns. Um, and then the second, I think, is, yeah, how do you make those activities measurable? How do you make sure that the things that you're doing are having the impacts that are needed? Um, I think those are, those are really important things to keep front of mind, but hopefully things that you can develop through practice, right? I think that's what the, the Scrum community is getting better at over time. Even if you don't think dysfunction mapping is the thing for you, um, I would really strongly suggest, yeah, you know, podcasts like this, getting in, engaged with the Scrum community online, find ways of of uh, just getting your skills uh, to, to solve real problems, to just level, level them up and, and hopefully improve your values as a practitioner. I love that. Thank you, Mike. If people want to connect with you, have dialogue with you, work with you, what's the best way that they can get hold of you? So as some people might know, I spend far too much time on LinkedIn. So uh, yeah, find me on there, flick me a message. Uh, I am always happy to be a sounding board or to talk through any problems if, if people need a, a bit of an ear. Um, I can't necessarily help you with everything, but I'm always willing to listen at this. Awesome. And will you come back? I know I'm being bold in asking you this, but I want to. So I really would love you to come back um, and talk to us about how you're evolving this dysfunction mapping tool um, and techniques that you're teaching the Scrum community. Um, yeah, and, and get feedback for us um, on, on how you're doing. So that would be awesome. I'll yeah. you up for it. Oh, absolutely. And so what I would love would be if you do attend one of my workshops is uh, maybe let's talk about it afterwards on, on here and you can tell me what you think is good, what you think I could improve. Um, it's definitely a work in progress as it probably will be forever, right? So. Yeah, um, that's that's empiricism working um, proactively. So yeah, let's do one for sure. We'll do a follow up on um, on how uh, on my experiences at your workshop. I'm coming on the twenty seventh. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. How do people sign up for it, Mike? Uh uh, so it's on Eventbrite. If you search for dysfunction mapping, you should find it. But also um, check out my LinkedIn page or, or message me. Uh, there is currently only the one workshop. This is actually the first time I'm doing a full day workshop for this. Um, so those who come will be making a you know world history. Uh, but I will be doing future ones as well. So keep keep an eye out for those. Awesome. Well, so thank you so much again, Mike, and thank you everyone for watching and listening. Please make sure that you follow us on our socials so you don't miss out on great episodes.